Well, welcome to Logically Faithful. I am Calvin Swice. As you see, I have a very special guest with me today, Professor Christopher Yuan. Doctor, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for right making time. Yeah. Uh, you just gave an incredible talk about inspiring people to uh, focus on one major mephos or one major theme that I found to be fascinating. You said homosexuality is a sin, but so is homophobia. Yeah. Expand on that. <laughs> well, I, I think Christians, we rightfully understand God's word, that it communicates clearly from Genesis all the way to Revelation, that sexual intimacy is reserved for husband and wife marriage. Therefore, anything outside of that, including sex before marriage, uh, set sex outside of marriage as an adultery, um, or same-sex relationships, those are all sinful in God's eyes. So we're kind of, you know, those of us who hold to biblical, we understand that well, but then, we don't understand grace, where though people might be caught in that sin, whether it is the adulteress, what did Jesus do? He showed compassion and said, go and sin no more. He didn't say go and sin no more and then show compassion. He showed compassion first, saved her life. And, and then we will also look at, well, the sin of homosexuality, that's wrong. But then we will degrade and demean and make fun of people in the gay community. So homophobia, as we would define it now, it doesn't mean just fearing people. Right. I mean, as, we, as we know, as of today, homophobia means uh, making fun of, looking down on, treating them as less. Hatred of? Hatred of people who uh, are gay or mm -hmm. identify as gay. So therefore, we need to realize that that's wrong as well. I mean, we don't demean anyone. We don't uh, talk bad about anyone. I mean, that, you know, we don't malign someone. Those, those would, that is sinful. Um, that is not pleasing to God. Mm -hmm. Regardless of whether someone... Um, is living sin or not, uh, whether someone has believed in Christ or not, they're still created in the image of God. The Imago Dei. The Imago Dei, yes. I want to expand on that a little bit with you, but in doing so, uh, I want to give you, Professor Nguyen, Yuan, uh, your proper introductions. You have taught at Moody Bible Institute now for over 10 years, over yeah. a decade. Uh, I imagine because of your ministry of speaking around the globe, that you didn't want to focus on a full-time position because you, you just, the doors have been opening up for you to reach so many people. You've authored a wonderful book with your mother out of a far country yeah. who was a powerful prayer warrior yes. herself. And the movie, uh, The War Room, was dedicated to her. Yeah, the, uh, the novel, yes. The, the novel as well. Yeah. Imagine the connection there. Yeah, that, that's an incredible testimony and a legacy to leave. Uh, you just authored a new book, The Gospel, Holy Sexuality of the Gospel, which I just finished uh, recently. I should finish it before I do an interview, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you've been—you did some other work regarding integrating uh, college and ministry, uh, Christian colleges and ministries, and their understanding of homosexuality, transgender, and things of that nature. You're still working on those types of things right now. Yeah. So that was for my doctorate. I finished in 2014, and then I published my book in about 2016 or 2015. And I think it was 2016. I can't remember the date that we published it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of done with that. That was a little bit more social science methodology. It was, it was very interesting, um, and I felt that my, my, my sweet spot, kind of my comfort zone, is uh, more exegesis and theology. So I kind of came back to that, and that's what my, my third book is on. The common vernacular today, mm -hmm. sexuality is ingrained with the very identity of people. So when Christians or when um, uh, people who are in the conservative realm talk about sexuality or homosexuality or transsexuality, they talk about the action, the, the individual's mm -hmm. behavior. behaviors. Mm -hmm. But when people of faith, the people of traditional Christianity or even of the conservative branch, they're talking about, uh, excuse me, the other branch, the people who are liberal or the general secular outlook. Yeah. This is who I am. Yeah. They seem to be talking past each yeah. other. That's right. They're not even talking about the same basic thing, although they think they are. Mm -hmm. And there's never an agreement. There seems to be a middle ground. Yeah, and, I mean, and I, I even see it even among evangelicals where we have bought into that line that sexuality is who you are. And so, you know, I've, there's been a long discussion uh, in the past couple of years about identity and, and the term sexual identity. Um, and there are even Christians who will say, I am a gay Christian. But right. to clarify that they that they believe that same-sex relationships are sinful, they realize that that gay can confuse and, and, and mislead, so they add another modifier to the modifier, mm -hmm. as they call themselves a gay celibate Christian. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of, you know, argue that gay just means uh, 
these are my attractions. But and yet, when we look at um, even gay celibate Christians, when they talk, they talk about their sexuality as who they are. And so it's actually not just simply about what does identity mean, but identity to me, what, the way I would define it is, how would you answer that question, who am I? Like at the core of your being, who am I? And uh, for many, um, people will say sexuality is who I am. I am gay means this is who I am. Right. And, and my argument is that sexuality shouldn't be who we are, but how we are. In other words, these are my experiences. It's not an ontological reality. It is an experiential reality of my desires, my affections, my hope for intimacy, uh, my behavior. And those things should ne never really define who we are. It seems to be an existentially bankrupt position to define my entire identity, yep. everything I am, to be reduced to my sexuality. Exactly. It seems almost beastial or animalistic. It is. It is. Define my entire being as a mm -hmm. sexual being. Yeah. I'm a sexual being, but that's not all I am. That's right. That's yeah. right. Okay, so when you take that and then you talk to somebody who says, uh, how, this is, it seems to be the perspective given to me by my culture, mm -hmm. by the world around us, because nobody arrives at their position by waking up one day. Right. It's usually a conglomeration and a variation of different things that come together, your family, your environment, your language, even the words we use, yeah. the religion, the anti-religion, that make up who we are. Yeah. So there are many who have embraced that mentality. Yeah. What practical, effective strategies have you seen in the ministries that you've done for personal friends or others that break the deadlock between my identity as a sexual being and what I do as a sexual being. Yeah. And then connecting that to the, yeah, I mean, I, the I, cross, right? That you drew with holy sexuality. Yeah, I, I think one, it is being able to communicate that well with others. Uh, what it means, I mean, first it's it's to be um, open with others about your journey. And that doesn't mean they have to be as public as mine. Very few people are called to do exactly what I'm doing. Yeah, that's that very brave of you. Very yeah. open about it, you know, online. And so I'm, I'm pretty much everyone that I know uh, knows about this, especially in, in the body of Christ. So it's not a secret for me, but that's not for everyone. But those that they are open to, I think it's, it's important to communicate what that means for them and that, you know, I'm not saying as the world says that this is who I am. This is what I experience, and actually it is my struggle, like, because we, it's our sin struggle. And so what is our sin struggle? As opposed to saying, this is part of who I am, we're recognizing that this experience is rooted in my sin nature, is rooted in the fall, as opposed to rooted in kind of my core identity. You know, I would say gay Christians would might, might even argue that this is part of the, you know, my image of God, you know, the goodness, and so therefore my sexuality is good. Uh, but when we look at, I mean, actually, I think every one of us, our sexuality is broken in some way or another. Even people who have opposite sex attractions, their struggle for lust, um, for, for lusting after someone who isn't their spouse, um, that's, that isn't pleasing to God. So rooting our experience in where it should be, and that is, especially when it's same-sex attraction, same-sex desire, same-sex behavior, that's rooted in the fall. So all sin is rooted in the fall. But my identity is rooted in all different factors of my life. Right? Yeah. It's not just one thing, yeah. as we said. Right. But let me hit you with some the very sophomoric, maybe bullet questions. Right? Uh, can a believer, a fundamentally committed, devoted Christian, be homosexual and at the same time as a Christian believer? It's a sophomore question. I know yeah. you've heard it over and over again. Yeah. There's different nuances it's, to well, it. Well, no, that's a good question. Go ahead and address yeah, the so, question. You know, can a person be gay and Christian at the same time? Well, I, I help people, first of all, um, in, in any good engagement, any good, I, I, I tell people, a good apologist is one who knows how to good, ask good questions. So wh when you get a question like that, before I answer it, I always have to say, well, define what you mean. Two words, gay and Christian. So define what you mean by gay. Define what you mean by Christian. Well, Christian, for some, we might not even agree what that means. I go to church. Um, I was baptized. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever it might be. I baptized the baby. I'm a Christian. Um, I go to church, you know, a few times a year. That's, I'm a Christian. I wear a cross. You know, that whatever it is. Right. Obviously, you know, by what you're saying, you know, really devoted, you know, true believer. Uh, that means more than just going to church. But that's someone who has put their faith in Christ. You know, then they confess with their mouth, believe in their heart. Jesus Christ is Lord, um, and I would also kind of argue what I said in chapel, that, that it was Jesus 
who told us, if anyone come, come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. And I think that is all a result of the gospel, not something that is necessary to become a Christian, but it should be a result of a transformed life, one that is converted. A repentant life. Yes, exactly. It's not a one-time so, thing, by the way, repentance. Exactly. Okay. Repentance is a lifestyle. So I, I think that is my definition for a Christian, not just someone who just says, I know, because demons know, it's making no difference in their life, but it's someone who has, re, uh, that it shows the fruit of conversion, which is repentance, which is denial, self-denial, which is dying to self. Uh, so that's how I, I would define a Christian. And so that's a, that's a pretty kind of high standard for what it means to be a Christian. But then what do you mean by gay? So if, if a person just means by gay, a person who has same-sex attractions, but isn't living and acting on that, I would argue, why even identify as gay anyway? That's, that's part of your sin struggle. So just say that I have same-sex attractions as opposed to this is who I am. That's why I prefer the, the, the phrase same-sex attraction. It's a little clunky, you know, gay, that sounds easier. However, I think same-sex attraction, attraction is my experience, not who I am. So I think I, one of the questions that people think when they say gay, they're, they're incorporating with a... Um, a methodology and also a whole community yes. of living this certain way. I think they're not they're not distinguishing it the way you are. Right, and and, and and that's why I think people need to help to think because sexuality is really three three kind of distinctions. First, our attractions. Second, our actions, and third, identity. And that identity is not only personal but it's also social. Okay. Actually, that kind of follows the American psychological definition for sexual orientation. And they use that. It's a pattern of attractions, whether they could be sexual, romantic, or I can't remember what is the other term, but uh, I can't get it word for word. But it's uh, APA has their definition. And in that, you see uh, the three components, the, the attraction, the action, but also the identity, both personal and corporate. So, when, so that's why I'm asking, you know, like when you say gay, what do you mean? Because if a person just experiences that, I would say why identify I just say that's your experience. Can a person be Christian and have these experiences and, and struggle and not act on them and still be a Christian? Of course, I, say, I would say yes. But if a person says I'm gay, like you say, it means more than that. Usually it means not just the attraction that they experience this, but they're acting on it or willing to act on it, think that it's okay. I'm celebrating it and teaching it to others. Celebrating it, right, yes. encouraging it. Uh, but then third, they have made that who they are, one, but two, that second part of that identity is this is a social community. Like I'm resonating more with the gay community right. than anyone else. These are my people. Mm -hmm. You know, when people uh, make as their man, I'm Chinese. So when when I'm Chinese, like that's like I, I'm proud to be Chinese, which you know, in a sense, I, I'm not ashamed of it. I used to be. Um, I struggle though when people talk about you know pride, Chinese pride, or whatever. I just have a pride because I think. Pride is a sin in the Bible, and so if I'm going to be prideful well, or boast in anything, pride, you, know, you know, we need to boast in Christ. Um, so I think there's a sense where even if, you know, I, I'm saying that I'm, if a person says that's Chinese, that's like their core identity, well, that communicates not only personal identity, but also a corporate So that yes. I'm, I'm relating more than any other community, that I'm relating more to the Chinese community. And so when someone says that, I think that there are some red flags about, well, where it shouldn't you be identifying more with the body of Christ? If Christ is your Lord, then you should be as, as imperfect as we are. And I totally get that. We are, there are sinners in the church, uh, but we should still relate more with the body of Christ than any other community. But also, well, if someone is celebrating that behavior, well, if the Holy Spirit's one of his jobs is in essence to convict us of sin, to guide us into truth, then if a person is in that continual cycle of unrepentant sin, then that could reveal that maybe the Holy Spirit isn't abiding in that individual. And that would apply to many other sins in life, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. But Paul says in Corinthians that this, some were such as you, or yes. you, you, some of you were yes. these things, adulterers, slaves, yes. homosexuals, etc. And some will argue, wait a minute, what is Paul talking about? Because he's not talking about identity or desire there. If right. he is, then many people are still in that because they still desire the, right. the strong drink, even they they are repentant and saved. Yeah. How? Yeah. So there, what we see kind of in First Corinthians six and also First Timothy one, to get list of sins where we have that common word, our synecoitai, which refers to homosexual behavior from Leviticus twenty thirteen. We find that what 
what such were some of you, it's talking about action. It's not like, you know, this is such were, and every one of those things is related to sinful behavior. So a liar. No one now and even back then would say that's who you are, but we would say, even though we would call someone a liar, you know, we still would say that's what you do. An adulteress. That's not, no, I don't think anyone will say that's who you are, but they will say that's what you have done or are still continuing to do. And to our shame, we do a Hester Pryor and the Nathaniel Hawthorne novel, slap the A on them forever. Right, yeah, exactly. And, and we see that as, as, as wrong. That's yeah. not correct. That's not who they are, and there's grace for that. Um, and that's why I also even struggle with AA a little bit, because then you're constantly saying, I'm an alcoholic, I'm an alcoholic. And I'm willing to say, this is my struggle. I struggle with addiction, but I don't want to keep saying this is who I am because who I am affects how I live. Essence affects morality, ethics. So that's important to recognize what we begin identifying as and putting putting our essence in, that affects our ethics and how we live. And so there's this really important complex interplay that we don't catch, and that's why I, I I put so much emphasis upon identity because I know that it was because that I have put my identity in the wrong thing and so many others that I see in the world and my friends put their identity in the wrong thing, then that just justifies behavior that is not pleasing to God. It seems to me that if we were to look at the spectrum from an angelic point of view, you have those who are condemning the homosexual community and the lives that they live and the spreading of diseases and just the, the, the wanted uh, it's a form of um, pride mm -hmm. that first the Romans talks about they are proud yeah. of what they do and they wave mm -hmm. the, the gay flag yeah. and there are some vitriol and anger and almost venomous anger from the right yeah um, the conservative right even the Christian right. the, uh, evangelical right yeah. and, and then you have the others who are just as arrogant on the other side trying the others to shut down which is the movement within the liberal LGBT movement Right. Uh, so you have with the, the, the hate clause, uh, hate laws, right. uh, hate speech, and others. Yeah. So you have both of these doings. But then you have this other person in the middle, right? Yeah. Who beat their breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Yeah. It, it seems to me that person who is recognizing they are who they are as, as a person, as somebody who struggles and recognizes the God's standard, yeah. is closer to God than the one standing in the church or condemning him. Yeah. Telling him he's going to a place of perdition. And yeah, it's um, sobering. Yeah, it is. I think it's recognizing how um, you know God desires a broken and contrite heart, not despise. You know, well, I mean, uh, David says in Psalm twenty-one that um, it's in that brokenness that that's what He wants. He's He doesn't want us perfect because He knows we can't be. But it's that broken and contrite heart that He will not despise, and. And I, you know, when Jesus, like you say, gives that parable, you know, of the Pharisee, thank God I'm not like that tax collector and this tax collector is like, you know, eating his breast. He can't even look up, you know, he's, he's far away, you know, from the temple. And he's, and he's like, you know, and Jesus is like, this is the one that will be forgiven. And Jesus is like, lifts up. So I think that's what we need to realize um, that all of us are just like that man, that, that tax collector, that we're all sinners, we're all broken. But let me hit you with this hard one. You seem to be equating in your book, which I highly recommend, by the way, uh -huh. that homosexuality is like other sins mm -hmm. before God. But there are some theologians who argue, no, it's yeah. not. Yeah. It's a higher category. There's a hierarchy of sins. It's the one that can get cities destroyed. Mm -hmm. It can cause civilizations to collapse. Yeah. Uh, sexuality is ingrained into our being. It's not like I can just cheat on Monopoly and there's consequences. <laughs> right. But I could cheat on my wife. That's even higher consequences. I could cheat on my own body. Yeah. I start doing things that are quote unnatural, could be a natural law for criticisms. Right. It seems like sexuality is a higher category than other sins. You seem to be saying no, or am I misreading? Well, I, I'm saying that it is um, similar to other sins in that the consequence is something that. Is, is the same, that we will be eternally separated from God. So any sin, I mean, that's, so the consequence, the eternal consequence is the same. However, when you when you read Paul in 1 Corinthians, what he talks about, um, he puts sexual sin in a different category. 
and he says the reason why that sexual sin is a different category is because it's a sin against the body. Why is that different or worse? Or, or you know, it's because you're you're you know sinning against the Holy Spirit because the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So that's why it's it's important to say that it is in a different category. Um, when it comes to hierarchy, um, if we're going to, I, because of the way that Paul has communicated that it is definitely in a different category, um, I'm not, I'm not sure though that it means that you will be, um, there are some who will be beaten, that, that it'll be somehow worse because worse. I, I just kind of, I can't imagine how, um, even lusting, you know, after a woman is going to separate you eternally from God. So you can't even kind of be more separated. However, there, I do believe there can be different earthly consequences. So that's why there's a difference between, let's say, lust and actually committing adultery. Okay. And, and this is where it, it, you have this, things are the same, but they're also different. And, and so I think there's this tension, you know, throughout the Bible, there's always these tensions, the paradoxes, where, yeah. paradoxes, where you have Jesus is comparing hate and murder. Mm -hmm. But then we're like, but wait, they are different, you know. I mean, right. you know, we're we're going to treat you differently if you actually murder someone than if you hate someone. You know, same thing. If you lust someone and if you commit adultery, Jesus's eyes, he's saying that it's the same. But I think he was also correcting that. You know, the Jews were just thinking, oh, they're just so different. He's like, no, I mean, they're actually some consequences are more devastating than others. Yes, and and so I think that there's that earthly consequence. Uh, but if we're going to talk about, you know sins in general. Like, I would look at Sodom and I would say, their main sin wasn't necessarily just homosexuality. It was because they were depraved as a whole, and they were guilty of most likely many sexual sin. I think reading Genesis 19, the destruction that we also have to read what follows at the end of Genesis 19, where Sodom's daughter, I mean, Lot's daughters, you know, one by one, they, they slept with their father, but they were virgins. And, and, and I argue that there's it's, it's impossible that Virgin daughters would come up with that idea if they weren't in a context, in a city that was so full of sexual sin. So kind of the context of Genesis 19, I see, is basically depravity and sexual immorality and lots of other sins. And therefore and that, that sexuality is why leads God, to God destroyed the city, okay. you know, because of all this depravity. And so my argument isn't, is saying that the main sin of Sodom, I don't think is necessarily, that is one example, but they were... Uh, you know, it's one of many. It's one of many sins. However, I do believe we can still say that this is one of the sins because some people might like to say that's not even one of the sins, and I do believe no, it because is. that it is. It, you know, it is one of the sins. I was in Jordan uh, last year. Yeah, it was in where potentially Lot's wife was. There's a oh, bunch of yeah. pillars of salt that rise up across yeah. the, uh, the Dead Sea area, yeah. and the stories are glorious there. Yeah. One of the themes that came up was. Although Lot's family left Sodom, yeah, Sodom did not leave them. Yeah, and the daughters brought that out with them. Yes, Lot. yeah. Uh, so sins are yeah multivariate. We can't just reduce everything to one thing. Can right. we? It's just, there's so yeah. much to it. And yet they were virgins. You know, Isn't and, and so and so it's yeah. like you know you think that the parents yeah, probably I thought about the virgin part, but that's tried right. to you know teach them well, and yes. but but when you are it, it's it's you can't say that our you know, environment doesn't affect us and doesn't affect our kids. So. Yeah. All right, uh, quick one. Um, can people turn from being gay or homosexual to straight? Mm. There's been many therapies up to electrodes. Yes. <laughs> it gets really absurd after a point. Yeah. Um, Exodus International, one of the mm -hmm. founding members, members walked away from it saying the, the, the methods were so important yeah. um, to him and some of the methodologies. Any comments on that? Yeah, uh, so. Um, you know, if people are familiar with, with any of my work in my videos, um, I, 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 am, I am pretty clear that I do not uh, I do not advocate for reparative therapy. I don't think, from a Christian perspective, that pointing people and, and helping people to become straight or heterosexual uh, is God's plan. And I know that that is sometimes hard for people to get their head around because they think, well, but homosexuality isn't God's will, so it must be heterosexuality. But heterosexuality as defined could be lusting after women, could be... Uh, sleeping with prostitutes, it could be you know cheating on my my wife if, if I was married. I'm not uh, sleeping with you know lots and lots of women. That's all considered heterosexual. As a matter of fact, when we make our goal, that is why even in some of these activist groups, support groups, 
they will celebrate when a man who used to be in a same-sex relationship begin lusting after women. They will celebrate that. So I think we need to be careful to say that heterosexuality is not the goal. That's why I say in my, in my first book, I said homosexuality, the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality, but the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. So I, my argument is that heterosexuality should never be the goal for anyone, but holiness needs to be for a Christian. That seems to be the whole hypothesis of your book. Yes. The new book. That yeah, homosexuality. Yeah. Um, so it's not heterosexuality, a goal, because that doesn't get you to heaven. Right. <laughs> or homosexuality is holy. Yeah, homosexuality. And that means set apart? Uh, it means set apart, yes. So it doesn't just mean I just follow all these rules and do whatever is right and wrong or not do the things that are wrong uh, but it means that we are set apart and involved with that means that we are going to avoid things that are not wrong and pleasing to God but I also want to add that though I'm not an advocate I also so this is kind of the tension that I hold I'm not an advocate for reparative therapy but I also do not think that it should be made illegal because there are some people who generally struggle and they don't want these well I mean well the reason is because, and it's more from a kind of constitutional or from the governmental perspective, um, the government, senators, lawmakers should not be involved in things that they don't really know about. If they're not psychologists, if they're not counselors themselves, they shouldn't be making laws on this strictly because this is what pop culture is saying or strictly because that is what um, is kind of the popular gay act, you know, activism right now. And so we need to be really careful not to allow activism and kind of pathos to create laws. One of the mandates, as an apologist myself, from Paul, Peter, excuse me, is to give an answer for everyone who asks. And there are some questions that are just hanging in the air. Some of them are answered, some are not answered adequately, and some are just the answers are not accepted. One of the major ones is, and this comes from the Supreme Court of the land, okay? I'm thinking it was Kennedy, I'm not sure who said it, but yeah. that we should not deny people who they love. Yeah. That's actually from Courts. Yeah. Um, what you seem to be advocating is a form of intolerance, uh, yeah. restricting people from expressing their sexuality in the form of matrimony and yeah. holiness. Yeah. That why should they have not have that? Right. Supreme Court has approved it. Um, the White House was draped in a, yeah. a, a rainbow flag at one point. Yeah. How do we address this? How have yeah. you addressed this in a secular environment? Yeah. That we're so in? Justice Kennedy wrote the majority opinion when, when it was five four, a close decision by the Supreme Court. Um, and, 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 and I do believe he was the one that said that he even went on to say um, to deny people of this right would be, in essence, and I'm kind of you know, uh, paraphrasing here, but he said that it would be to relegate them to a life of loneliness. Yes. The problem is that marriage does not have a monopoly on love. Mm. And yet the world says that love is equivalent to the highest form of love. Actually, that's this is part of what Justice Kennedy wrote in his majority opinion toward the end. He said, the highest ideal of love is marriage. Mm. It's not. How many people that we know, you know, in Hollywood, they fall in and out of love, they get in marriage, and they, you know, so I do not, I, actually, I, I would say a mother's love for her children is pretty strong. You know, mm -hmm. you you can change your spouse. No romance the there. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. And there's no sex there either. Yeah. You can change your spouse, but you can't change your mom. You know, See, that, right? <laughs> I mean, that yeah. love for, and of course, you know, there's yeah. some mothers that, that are not good mothers. Yeah. And, and, you know, but but overall, there is there is something about a mother-child bond that will not, you know, not break. Okay. So, and even, I think, friendship bonds and from the Christian perspective, our love for brother, a Christian brother, a Christian sister. You know, the, the, the chapter that we all love as, as Christians, First Corinthians 13, the love chapter, Yes. that chapter is often read in weddings. Yes. But actually, that chapter, the context of what Paul is talking about is not weddings. It's not the love between a husband and wife. It's the love for brothers and sisters in Christ. It's actually the love that we should be experiencing and practicing in the local church in the body of Christ. So the highest form or expression of love is not in marriage. Yeah. Where is it? Yeah, well, definitely um, it needs to be recognizing our love for God. That should be our greatest love. But even greater than that is God's love for us. You know, for God to love the world. That, how did he express it? That he gave his only begotten son. Romans 5 also then expounds on God's love, that God uh, loved us and he saved us 
even when we were powerless or weak, even when we were sin still sinners, and when we were his enemies. That's love. Um, and, and so we need to realize that love is important, but simply if a person isn't there, it doesn't mean that they cannot experience love. There's an idolatry of the romantic portion of love being the yes. epoch or the summa boyum of human experience. Yeah. And that is Hollywood-like, is yes. it not? Yeah. Because exactly. as you mentioned in your talk today, there are many people you know who are single who are miserable, but yeah. there are people who are married who are miserable. <laughs> That's right, yeah. And yeah. That marriage doesn't solve that problem. No, you will no. ground it in something higher and greater than yourself. Yeah. And that is the one who formed the marriage bond. But you also mentioned Corinthians mm. 7, where singleness is a gift. Yes. Some say a curse. Yeah, right. But God did tell Adam, yeah. it is not good yeah. for man to be, be alone. alone. And so he made him a partner suitable for him, a yeah. helpmate. Um, so that complements the masculine and the feminine. Mm -hmm. And this brings me to the question. Yes. And then you can jump on the different photos of that. The APA just released a um, uh, work that's angered me and many people in the, in the conservative camp, some liberals too, that masculinity is actually harmful yeah, to boys. I don't know what these people are reading or smoking. Yeah. <laughs> Put it that way. Can you comment on that issue of masculinity well, and femininity, even at yeah. the garden level between the yeah. masculine and the feminine? Well, and so Genesis 2.18 is not good uh, for man to be alone. Yes. Um, I actually think that Paul, when he wrote 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1, uh -huh. that it is good for a man not to touch a woman. It's good for a man, actually. And some would, would actually say it's good for a man not to marry. Right. Um, or to be single. You have another paradox or what? It is tension. So, but also we need to recognize that being alone uh, doesn't mean that one is lonely. Mm. Being alone doesn't necessarily is equivalent to being single, because if as a, a person who is really living a born again uh, life as a Christian, they should never be alone. They should always be active in the body of Christ and be around people because ministry involves people. So they really, so, but for that context, Genesis 2.18, Adam truly was, there was no other people around. And then, so that aloneness, God solved the aloneness, not loneliness, but aloneness, uh, by providing him a helper, fitted a suit for him. And that helper, we need to realize, is not just a helper in the sense that we think of a helper, like my cleaning lady, or yeah. who does my whatever yard work. That's not what we mean by helper, someone under us. Actually, helper, 16 times in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for helper is the word that refers to, to God being our helper. Actually, Eliezer, mm -hmm. Moses' son, yes. he named him Eliezer, means, Eliezer means helper. Okay. Eli is my God, so my God is my helper, in essence. So God, we would never think God is under us. No. God is very powerful. He does what? He saves us. He, he, you know, he fought for them. He brought them salvation. And so God is very powerful. So in, in that sense, it's not only that helper is this kind of underling, but also it's understanding that this helper is to help us do something or to do a task. Compliments that, us? Compliments us, exactly. And so there's complimenting, but it's not just to provide companionship. Mm -hmm. Because God isn't just our companion. He actually saves us. He actually does something, and he works with us, and, he, and we work with him. So actually, helper means that is completing a task. What's the task? Going to Genesis. It is, for, in that context right there, it is to tend the garden. And also, and the garden, I think, is often time as a motif for the temple. So it's actually kind of worshipful, in a sense, the priestly duties. But also, Genesis 1.28 talks about be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over it. So that's actually kingly duties. And Adam could never do those things if he was all by himself. He needed a helper. And so I view what this concept of marriage is not simply just to provide companionship, but it's actually to fulfill the calling that God has given us to. And that's the task of worshiping and ruling over his creation. But Adam was masculine. Yes, so and the Eve is feminine, and that's why I'm talking about that masculine feminine yes. connection. Yeah, so I think so. Talking about that, there's four categories that we need to be really clear about that the world has has, has confused. Actually, unbelievers just they hold yes. to three, as Christians, we hold to four. Okay, so these categories are first, sex, male and female that's genetic, biological, physical, and that is a very objective category. You're talking about the noun, yes, not the, the verb. 
Right, the noun sex, male okay. and female, not the action. Okay. Because that's where it gets confusing. Yes. But the world now says sex and gender are different. They used to be the same. So sex is biological. That's one of my other questions. But yeah, so gender, though, is not biological. Neither is it objective. It's very subjective, and it's not biological, but it's psychological. So male and female, according to gender category, is what I think about myself. So I feel like I'm a woman caught in a man's body, or that would be transgender as the world defines, or as the world defines cisgender is, well, I'm a man, I think I'm a man, and my body matches that. So they would call this, I don't like those categories, but that's the world uses. So that's sex, male and female, the noun. Gender, the noun, male and female, is psychological, that's subjective. The third category is masculine and feminine, and that's more of a cultural category. So it's shaped by, like, American culture. Like, if we were in Asia, masculine would be way different than how we would understand that here. Mm. The definition of masculine in Asia might be considered more feminine. Mm. The definition for masculine here in America in Asia would not be considered masculine. It would be considered barbaric, <laughs> you know, low class or something like that. So masculinity, femininity, I, I believe, is more culturally defined. So those three key categories, sex, male and female, uh, and that's, that's biological and objective. Gender, male and female, that's psychological and subjective, very subjective. Masculine and feminine are more cultural categories. Like, does a boy like blue or pink? You know what I mean? Because if it's pink, then that's girly. Well, who says? I mean, that's 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 kind of cultural categories. But then the fourth that Christians hold to is manhood and womanhood, yes. and that's talking about roles. Okay. So this is a category where there's debate about mm -hmm. what I believe is that men and women we are equal. I think that's very biblical, but that doesn't mean that we're the same. Egalitarians would say we are. Equal, but also the same. In that, whatever a man does, a woman can do as well. Okay. That's well, where potential is there. But well, not. But not. I mean, uh, I mean, like a man, uh, like a woman, can't make a woman pregnant. You know. So there's they, there are things that are still limited. I see. And but also, uh, I believe in uh, as a complementarian. You know, the difference in roles. Mm -hmm. You know. So even though we're equal, just like the father and son, they're equal, but then they have different roles in that he's the father. Equality of essence, difference of function. I yes, that's exactly. That's, that's what I mean. So that's okay. manhood and womanhood. The world doesn't care about those no. things, but they, you know what? You know, they mainly have these categories. This is more of a biblical Christian category, manhood and womanhood, even though I think it's related, but unbelievers wouldn't even talk about that because that's more related to what the Bible says. But the world sees these three categories, and guess what? They make them. And so they see, see, look, masculine is all cultural, so therefore man and woman so. is a cultural category. And that's where I completely disagree. When we talk about male, female, masculine, feminine, we need to recognize these categories, and as Christians recognize this fourth one, and then talk about each specific one. Because I'm willing to say, yes, masculine and feminine, we need much more improvement on how we communicate about that. Because I don't agree that just because a girl likes soccer, that she's boyish. No, she's just a girl that likes soccer. You know, just because a boy likes colors or music or painting, that does not make him girly. That makes him a boy who likes art. Okay. Um, so I think that is where I do believe that culture that is cult more culturally defined and created, uh, but that then does not then make these two categories and specifically the sex, which is the most objective of all four of these. Uh, that then somehow that blurs the lines between women and male and female. Not to say that there's intersex. There's definitely intersex. So, so the, the the big discussion nowadays between gender yes. and sex. Yes. You seem to be breaking that down for us. What a concept to critically think. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and what thinking actually does, it exactly. helps to clarify things. But it helps us also realize things that we're very uncomfortable with. Yeah. And, and I so think the more that the we person. kind of like... We mesh them, the yes. more we get confused, and the conversation gets So off. speak to the person who says, I'm struggling. Yeah. I see my biological body yep. is, is A, it's male or it's female, but yep. my function or my desires or my dispositions are the opposite. Yeah. So the world tells me I need transgender surgery, right? or uh, I have to change my body. Mm -hmm. uh, the others say, no, no, you got to change your mind. Yes. So you have these two extremes. Um, is there some... Ground here that we can work with. There is. So when it comes to tra uh, transgenderism, gender dysphoria, as okay. the APA calls it, which I think they will be changing that soon. The DSM uh, book five is, is 
most likely will change soon. That's the diagnostics study manual or whatever. Right, for psychologists. Psych psychologists. They yeah. will be changing. They're not psych uh, politically influenced at all, are they? Right. <laughs> I mean, that, that thing, they say is scientific, but wow. the way they make the, the decisions are often more it's through voting, you know, democratic process. Okay. And that democratic process, as we can see, is not, uh, is not objective, but it's subjective. Um, but anyway, so if a person is, is Russian, we need to first recognize that the issue with transgenderism isn't really what is male or female. Mm. The issue is what is true, mm. what is real. So actually, it's it's really like an epistemological question, and it's, and it's a question that is related to how do we know what is true knowledge, what is truth. And the world is saying what? If you think something, that is your truth, exactly. that is your knowledge, and that is your reality. Uh, as Christians, we look to God's word and we see the Bible is telling us, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Mm. It also says in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 17, 9, that my heart is deceitful above all else who can know it. So therefore, I can't trust my heart, my feelings. I can't trust my mind because it's darkened because of the sin of, my, of, of the fall. And so I can't trust my thoughts either. So therefore, I must put my thoughts and my feelings through the grid of the Word of God. Mm. My thoughts aren't what is true or right or, or necessarily good. I need to put that under the grid. And therefore, we need to realize then, in that context, just because I think something or feel something doesn't necessarily mean that it is true or right or good. I need to put this under the, the microscope of the Word of God because the Word of God says, I can't trust my heart. I can't trust my mind. So therefore, male and female, though we might struggle with that, we do need to also realize that it is a real struggle. Sometimes people say, oh, no, 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 you're just, it's a phase, you'll get over it. And I think we need to be careful not to diminish someone's struggle. We need to recognize it, but then say, this is not who you are. It's real. Let's talk about it. Let's not try to just push it down and suppress it. We need to take it to God. Okay. We need to talk about it. We need to surrender it and not feed it. But that doesn't mean we just hide it. We, we need to kind of... Realize when I I'm not saying that we need to just let it out and just kind of like express yeah. it. I'm just saying we're not trying to step it away and ignore it. We need to talk about it. We need to uh, confess when we're you know when we give in. We need to tell other and be held accountable for these things because it's a real struggle. But we need to realize it is a struggle with our sin nature. Okay. Okay. This leads me to another question. Yes. Uh, God is referred to as masculine, mm -hmm. as a he. He's also referred to in different places as my helper, as you indicated. Yeah. And Hagar calls him that. Mm -hmm. uh, or as a old Israel, Jesus says, I long as a, a chick, uh, as a, a, hen. a hen to hold you close to me. Yeah. And a hen is feminine. Yeah. But at the same time, God is seen as a warrior, the king. Yeah. The father. The father. father. Not the mother. Right. Not the mother. And there are some biblical, um, actually, translations that knock off the whole role and say the father, mother, in heaven. Yeah. Uh, so is God male or masculine address that question and people say why yeah. is god referred to as so it? is it patriarchy god, yeah so god created male and female so he then is not himself male or female okay. he's above this okay we we do relate to him though as a father when it's talking about the hen and kind of kind of the mother it's always like he is like okay you know and um but it's, it's metaphorical. For example, we say Jesus is the door. You know, Jesus yeah. is the gate. You yeah. know, Jesus, you know, that doesn't mean that he is literal. And so we need to recognize well, he has hinges on himself. Right, exactly, you know, the handle. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there is a sense where we need to recognize what is met metaphorical, but also what is clear, especially when it's when it's repeated so many times that God is Father. Um, he's, he, we never see him recognized as Mother. So, oh, okay. when, so it's not know, a metaphor when God's referred to as a Father. But it is a metaphor when he's referred to as the with wings or a head. Yeah, or, or even say you know, um, uh, God's God's hand is not sh too short to save. Well, that's an anthropomorphism that God doesn't literally have a hand. Uh, his mighty arm to save. You know, well, uh, he did in the incarnation. <laughs> yes, yes. as Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yes, but God the Father, He doesn't have a face, and we been what we talk about. You know, the face. Um, so. We need to realize those are us trying to understand the Father, and so we give kind of human attributes to God that doesn't have that. However, He is uh, 
in the way that we understand him. He is a father, and we don't really see him as uh, divine. Why is God referred to as a cosmic father, not the cosmic mother or the cosmic it, like the force in Star Wars? Yeah, um, you know, I think um, part of that, you know, I, I think with it you have the father and then the son. Mm -hmm. um, but but in, in, in essence, he does. He's over gender. It doesn't mean he's genderless. But there is no, you know, the father is the son is a man. That's very clearly he's a man. Um, you know, I, I wonder if it's because the father and son, you know, being one, uh, that, and, and the son being a, a man, so he is gendered, um, if that then relates, because the metaphor in the Old Testament and the New Testament is Yahweh, Jehovah, is not only our father, but he was the bridegroom to Israel, and Israel was the unfaithful wife. In the New Testament, we have Jesus being the bridegroom, and then the church as being the bride. Um, and so I think it's that metaphor that is actually a very important metaphor uh, and, and vision. And, and it actually, it's more than a metaphor. It is a reality as well that we need to see that. I, I think that, that's probably the reason why that, that we have that God the Father. And that's why also I do believe in... Um, in equality in men and women, but also difference. Mm. That we are equal in essence, but different in, in roles and, and you know our. Uh, what a radical idea! Exactly. <laughs> all the women will be lined up to join the Chicago uh, Bulls, the Chicago NFL. All the women will jump on the the linebackers team. Up. Right. It, it seems to be absurd. Or even the trans men. Yes. To, uh, you know, male to female are now joining these women's sports and just, but then we don't say anything except for Martina Navratilova, which she should have, and then she was blasted for that. But it's common sense, you know, but so common sense common. is just thrown out when, when, our, when our whole framework is social activism. Right. Coming down. Okay. Final question. Okay. Great. It's going to lead to more. Oh, awesome. <laughs> There are people listening to me now who are struggling. Yeah. Um, they're struggling with what they know to be right and what they believe and what they feel to be. A form of cognitive dissonance. Yeah. They want to come out and speak about it. But there's a culture of shame that shames that doesn't allow them to speak. Now there's something good about shame. It, it, oh, yes. it stops people from doing things because they know they'll be shamed. Right. Uh, but there's also a dark side to it. That leads to what you spoke about, right. depression and even suicides. Yeah. So speak to the person yeah. who's at the edge on this issue of sexuality, yeah. whether homosexuality, transgender, or even uh, pornography addictions yeah. that yeah. you mentioned as well. I think what I often say is you're not alone. Satan is trying to deceive us and think that no one ever understands you, you're all alone, don't share with anyone. But Satan works best in darkness. He wants to isolate us. That's probably one of his strongest mm. weapons. He isolates us and fools us into thinking, don't tell anyone. So there's power in being able to share with a trusted sister in the Lord or brother in the Lord. I really believe that we need to have two or three or four people in our lives that know us and are walking with us, and are praying with us, and that we can go to one, any one of them, because it's common, I mean, it's it's normal that having more is can be a little better, because if I'm like in a time of need, maybe this person is working and he can't talk to me, maybe he's on a plane or something, right, right. and so then I can go to them. So it's good to have kind of a team of people that it's not just that they're helping me, but it's, it's, it's a two-way street, because we're both, we're all sinners, and we all need that. So make your, Making sure that we're not believing the lie of Satan, that we, we need to not tell anyone. But not we need to open up, yeah. So that will go back to Hebrews. Do not forsake the gathering together. Yes. There's a reason for exactly. that. Exactly. There is a big reason for that. That is a local. I tell people, you can't say you love Christ and that you don't love the body of Christ. You can't have intimacy with Christ when you're not having intimacy with the body of Christ. That's one of the main criticisms from the Catholics and Protestant, uh, Orthodox regarding Protestants, who seem to cut off the church from the believer. Right. They're, they're separate. No, they're, yeah. Exactly. Okay, so 
don't you're not alone right. be part of the community yeah yeah and, and I think that that we need to make sure you know for me for my own journey my biggest gains was when I was really growing in Christ because holiness only happens when it's given from it's a gift from God it's a grace it's a grace gift and this grace gift isn't something that we can kind of just muster on our own because then that turns into works righteousness okay I, I really like how we talk about um, the spiritual disciplines not as things that we do but it's basically putting ourselves on the, in the path of God's grace so that you know it's God's grace is given freely but I need to put myself in the path of that and how, how do I do that well it's through the spiritual disciplines it's not that you do the spiritual discipline so that God will bless you it's put do the spiritual discipline so that you are in the path of God's grace because it's when I'm when I'm really thriving and or when I'm really working and, and, and doing these spiritual disciplines what I sometimes call habits of grace it's then that I'm really thriving in Christ and when I'm thriving in Christ that's when I'm stronger and able to resist temptations that will come so remember we're not alone yeah be part of the community yeah do good works <laughs> yeah. like God has equipped me and blessed me with certain abilities talents and then yeah the spiritual disciplines go out there and do these things and incorporate the disciplines of the spirit in that any final words? Yeah, I think um, it's important for us to realize how sometimes, especially as a church, we will treat this one issue different from any other, and we'll treat it as a psychological disorder or whatever, but we need to realize, as Scripture clearly articulates, that this is simple behavior, um, and it's a sinful behavior is rooted in our sin nature, which our sin nature is something that everyone deals with. And so ultimately, I mean, if we're going to make any simple statement, it's this. Sin is a problem, and if sin is a problem, then that means Christ is the answer. And if Christ is the answer, then that also means that the body of Christ must be the answer. And so kind of one of the focuses of my book is to bring the body of Christ back into the conversation. Because I think a lot of times in this conversation around sexuality, we'll talk about a lot of things and then leave the local church and the body of Christ out of the answer. And that, I think, is sometimes when they will try to work so hard on kind of fixing their own personal issue and then end up being disconnected from the body of Christ, which is really one of those things which is kind of putting ourselves in the path of God's grace to receive God's blessing is actually one of those conduits is the body of Christ. So encouraging us to, as you pursue Christ, we can't do that apart from kind of others in the community and the body of Christ, and that we need to pursue Christ, but also pursue intimacy in the body of Christ. Which takes us back to the beginning, one of the first questions I asked you. Yep. Where God told Adam in the garden, it's not good for man to be alone. That links and anchors it back to what you're talking about. Exactly. And the very Trinity itself, or himself, is not alone. He's a community. Yep. Wow. No, sir. Thank yeah. you. Thanks so much, Kelvin.